Welcome to the First Dan Football Show. I am your host, Tobias Brown. And folks, we're back with another interview, but we're doing it a little bit different. I've still got Logan with me today. So what's going on, Logan? Going good. I'm glad I can tag along on this one, you know? Yeah, well, we had to have you on because you were the uh, man with the connection for this one. We uh, we have someone who actually knows if Logan was actually a good football player or not because we've got Logan, one of Logan's high school teammates. we got current East Tennessee State defensive lineman Max Evans with us today. Max, how are we doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. And I can't confirm Logan was a hell of a kicker. Hey, I'm glad because if not, we were going to have to start putting in auditions for a new co-host for the show. <laughs> Ouch. We cannot have mediocre football players on this show. We've already got one in myself, so we can't have two. But Max, I want to jump right into this because like we alluded to, you are a current college football player for a Division One school, East Tennessee State University. Folks who maybe aren't familiar with the school, it's because they went without football for a little bit. What I believe it was about, was there a decade, a couple decades in there where East Tennessee State didn't have a football team? I want to say it was it was a decade exactly. I want to say it was either 2002 or 2003, all the way up until 2013. And then they put the works in. I don't think we had a – so it was over a decade because I don't think we had our first season back until 2015, I believe. Don't quote me on that. So, you know, we kind of start there because you are obviously from the Cincinnati area, went to Madison High School. You know, so when you were coming out of high school, getting recruited, what did that process look like for you? What were some of the schools who were looking at you and how did you get connected with East Tennessee State? Um, So coming out of Madison, and uh, I'm not sure how much Logan has told you about Madison. So, I mean, it's tiny. Uh, we graduated. I graduated uh, with, I think, 100 kids. Uh, you know, type of town that, you know, you know, everybody, they know you, I know everybody's parents. I know, you know, so it was kind of tough getting recruited out of such a small town. I was lucky enough to be on some pretty successful teams there. My junior and senior year, we made it to the playoffs, went deep into the playoffs and played some good competition, which, uh, which definitely helped my recruitment out. But um, East Tennessee state, I want to say I was followed on Twitter by then the DB coach, uh, Steve Brown. And I had this kind of uh, copy and paste message that I sent to every coach. And it's, you know, hey, coach, I'm Max Evans. This is my GPA. This is my ACT. Here's my huddle film. Let me know if you're interested. It was very cookie cutter, but it was just something I could get out to everybody. I sent that to him. Didn't think anything else about it. And next morning he texted me and was like, our defensive coordinator will be up there tomorrow. Are you are you going to be there? And I was like, yeah. And then so the rest is really kind of history from there, man. Were you looking at any other schools? Did anybody else catch your interest? Or was it East Tennessee State all the way? Um, yeah. So I had, I think, I don't know how many true offers I had towards the end of my recruitment. Um, I had an offer from Southern Illinois, uh, the Salukis, uh, VMI, Virginia Military, um, I had a gray shirt kind of thing from Ball State that I wasn't really entertaining that much. Um, you know, just the, I really didn't have any FBS. I had all FCS, Robert Morris, things like that, those guys. But those came later on. I, I was an early, early signee and everything. So they were coming right in those days. And it was something I didn't even – I was pretty dead set on East Tennessee. So your first year down at East Tennessee, you redshirted. And, you know, obviously we hear about redshirting all the time. Basically, we're not burning your eligibility. But what's that look like from a player standpoint? What what was a normal week like for you while you were redshirting? 
Um, it's different, man, because you come in, uh, and, you know, every school is going to tell you, you're our guy, you're our guy, you're going to come and play. It's not the case. Um, so I come in there and I get some camp reps during summer camp and everything. And I do all right. I make it to like the third string D tackle or something, but I'm, I'm a scout team guy. I'm this and that. Um, so it does look different because, you know, some of your friends that you make are older guys and this and that, and they get to do the, they're going to the hotels and they're going to these dinners and different things and they get practice reps off. They're getting taken care of. And you're kind of the, you're kind of a, for lack of better terms, you're, you're the dummy, you know, you're the tackling dummy. So I'd say red shirting is just a lot of um, learning how to deal with being a college athlete, learning how to deal with the, the grind of school on top of classes, on top of practices, on top of lifts. And it's also, it's really good to get your body right in that year, you know, because you can come in skinny, they're going to beef you up. You can come in a little overweight, they're going to cut you down. So that's really what it looked like. It's a lot of, a lot of heavy, a lot of heavy. It's a lot your first year, but the weight room is probably the biggest one I can remember is it's really, they take all the freshmen, the red shirts, the young guys, and they really transform you there. So when you were told you were going to be a red shirt, was that the head coach telling you, was it your DC? What was that conversation like? You know, was it, pretty hey we're just saving your eligibility or what went into all that i'm not even gonna lie to you i don't even know if i had the conversation i think it was pretty understood after my first camp it was like hey man you know you're gonna get redshirted i never asked him because i think after my first couple practices i was like i'm okay with this (laughs) i wasn't i wasn't ready and i was okay with that so i know some guys that i played with because you can play up to four games and still get redshirted i think i only played in one and um so some of those guys, they would actually talk to and be like, hey, we're going to play these four. This and I never really had that talk. I got to travel some still. I had a good relationship with my D-line coach and my D coordinator. And I knew some of the – I just knew signals and different stuff I could help. But, um, yeah, I don't think I ever really had a, a talk. Like, they never sat me down and were like, hey, you're red shirt. And it was kind of, kind of assumed on both parts, I think. So what was – you know, this past – last year, you guys were – pretty darn good you uh started the year with a nice little win against an sec school so did east tennessee state apply to join the sec after beating vanderbilt were you guys trying to get in you would think so man with the way we celebrated and the way we acted you would think so but uh after uh i've got a couple buddies that play in the sec right now and after watching them i'm i'm happy we're still in the SoCon. <laughs> i mean you guys dominant though i mean you guys beat teams like vmi mercer and, you know, made it all the way to quarterfinals, you know, before losing to North Dakota State. Can you talk yeah. about what it was like to just be a part of a team like that, an atmosphere like that all all season last year? Oh, I mean, definitely one of the best years of football I've ever had. Uh, just because every week we were confident, we expected it, but every week was a game. I mean, if you go back and look at our numbers, I want to say our, our only blowout win was VMI. You know, so it's not like we were really killing it by like on on paper maybe but i mean we were dominating teams and having a lot of fun doing it and stuff but they were all so close and exciting so i mean it was just great our fans were fantastic we set like three or four stadium records of like over ten thousand some odd people and it was it was great and then the last two went in the socon at mercer against mercer at home on a last second missed field goal that was crazy and then our comeback i think against Kennesaw State. I mean, those two games, you can't compare that. Yeah, I, two of the best games days of my life. 
Right. And it, it's easy to see that you guys have had some early success. And I just kind of want to talk about, I mean, you guys are, I guess you can consider a newer program since coming back with football um, at your school. What's kind of the environment that has been built there, you know, to have such this good success at a really early stage of coming back, you know, is there, uh, you guys chemistry wise on the team? Um, I think that all started with, um, of course, I wasn't familiar with the first coach they brought in, but Randy Sanders was who recruited me, and he was an old Tennessee guy, uh, Kentucky and Florida State guy, coached on all those different teams and stuff. And I think he was instrumental in, you know, conducting that and kind of setting a standard and setting a an example of what we do, how we act, how this, this, and the other. And um, so the guys that he originally recruited were kind of the senior or the juniors when I was a freshman stuff those guys were great at just like setting that standard and stuff. And I think that's why it was like, yeah, we're new, but it's, it's one of those things where we're still going to play ball. And these guys didn't treat it like we were new school and nobody ever shrugged it off and was like, Oh, it's okay. We're still pretty new. I mean, there was an expectation. I think as soon as they brought football back. So with you guys, you know, you alluded to it. The coach that recruited you is not the same head coach that's there currently. So what was that process like? We hear a lot of guys talk about, you know, ended up transferring because, you know, what they signed on to wasn't what ended up happening when the coaching change happened. What was that experience like for you when the guy who recruits you leaves, you get a new head coach in and all this, you know, mysteries kind of swirling? Um, It's crazy. It is hectic, especially for the first month or two, because your whole world is in like limbo. Um, Because, I mean, I'm sure you guys know, when a coaching staff leaves, usually coaching staffs travel in packs. So, I mean, you know, Randy retired, and I thought, well, there goes my defensive coordinator. There goes my D-line coach. There goes everything I'm used to. Um, so it's hectic for sure. But I was fortunate enough that uh, um, my head coach now, he kept my defensive coordinator on staff. So Billy Taylor is still here. And then my former D-line coach is still here as well. So for me, I don't think it was as crazy um, but I, I know for a lot of guys, my, my two roommates are tight ends and I mean, a whole new system, this, that, and the other, I mean, they were sh- not shaken up, but it shook their world up for a little bit. And with that, you know, you talk about this relationship with the head coach, D coordinator, D line coach, you know, we, if you watch hard knocks, you kind of see what position groups look like at the NFL level. And what's yeah. it look like though, at the FCS level, obviously still D one. So it's still a massive, you know, part of the university. So what's that look like for you, you know, on a weekly basis? Um, So the D-line room, basically, if I had to describe it, um, I think FCS is really cool because you've got a lot of these guys where you've got some guys that you look at them and you're like, how are you here? You know, you should be, you should be at a, this school. You should be a messy C school. You should be here or there. And then you got some guys where it's almost like, how did you make it? Um, you know, and that's just me being blown with it. But so my room is actually really good. Um, all of our guys play really good ball and stuff. Um, it is cool. It's cool because and as the season goes on, you just get closer and closer, especially as I've come in and I've played with a lot of my guys for three, four years and stuff. And then I've got younger guys that have come in. And it's just really cool to watch a, watch guys from all different walks of life, all different parts of America. I mean, I've got guys in my D-line room from – Antioch, California. I'm from Ohio. My buddy's from Atlanta. I mean, we all come together and just, you know, you become a team. So that's kind of what week to week you meet together every day. 
twice a day. Sometimes you lift together, practice all day. And then a lot of times we all go get food and different stuff. So it's just cool to see it grow week to week. You know, and this year you guys haven't had the success record wise that you guys had last year. Obviously we talked about made it to the quarterfinals a year ago, but like we were talking off the record, a lot of these games are one score games against, you know, FCS ranked opponents. You guys have played a lot of really good teams this year and you've got, you know, some really good games coming up. You guys went through the bye week though this past week. And I want to talk a little bit about that because Mm -hmm. it can be a little odd having your bye week with just two weeks left in the season. So what was that like for you guys, you know, sitting there, obviously with not the records you had wanted coming into the year, but knowing you still got two opportunities left, including senior night and a game against the SEC school. What was that bye week like for you guys? Um, It was last year we had a bye week in week eight. So a week before this year. And everything's a lot easier when you're winning. You know, everything's a lot easier to get through and stuff. So last year it was kind of like, oh, cool, we're in our bye week. This year, it felt a little bit more like, hey, we got to get to this bye week. We need to recover. We've got guys that are tired. Um, but it was, it was, you know, it's hard to get there. But I think our coaches did a great job of getting us to the bye week, our training staff and everybody, and then keeping us healthy during the bye week, letting some younger guys get some reps, taking care of, you know, some of the older guys and the guys who play. But it's definitely, you know, it's different. And it's easy to lose hope at this point in the season because it's like, man, we just had our bye. We got two games left. Who cares? You know, we're sitting at, I want to say we're three. and I don't even know where we're at right now, record-wise. I try not to think about it. Uh, but it's I think easy. it is three and six right now. I think three and six. It's so easy to be like, screw it. Let's just get through these last few weeks. But our coaches have done a really good job of being like, hey, this isn't the season we wanted. We're not going to sugarcoat that, but why not go out on top? It's always fun to spoil somebody's season. Let's go upset somebody. So that's kind of been our attitude. And I think our coaches have been, they've dealt with that in a great way. I love that. You know, if you spoil of another SEC school, um, if you can go out, you know, with a little 2 and 0 record here against SEC schools, I think it'll be fun. But kind of oh, diving yeah. that preparation, you know, uh, the Max Evans I knew back in Madison, I'm not sure was quite 260, might have been. 20 pounds less so let's get into that preparation you know I know you were a freak in the weight room in high school but uh only sophomore ever seen put 600 pounds on his back and squat it uh quite frightening what is your preparation you know weight room wise during the season um you know people some people talk about like you guys work out during the season yeah it's pretty common I would say what's your guys's workout sessions look like during the season you know um yeah so I've got one tomorrow we lift usually Monday Wednesdays uh, there's two or three groups. Um, I'm in the late group. I'm an older guy who has late classes, so I can kind of go to the later ones. But as I've gotten a little bit older and stuff, I'm not quite as, you know, I'm more injury prone now, and I've definitely had my bangs and bruises. So I'm not going like as, I don't want to say as hard. I'm not going as heavy in a lot of things. So, but I'd say a typical day like tomorrow, it's a Monday, so we're going to go ahead and get our legs moving. We'll go in there and squat. Nothing crazy. I mean, I probably wouldn't go over 295 to 305. And, you know, you'll do that three, four reps for a couple sets. Really, I feel like, especially for older guys, as you play in a season, it's really about staying moving and just, like, keeping up. It's more about, like, uh, maintenance rather than, like, building strength. And don't get me wrong, you can definitely build strength in a season. I've watched it happen. But it's really more about maintenance lifting, keeping your body moving, making sure everything's kind of firing together. So 
really, really, I want to say each day we'll do a full body. We'll go in there tomorrow, squat a little bit, bench a little bit, stretch out. We do a lot of stretching and stuff like that, but you're going to hit kind of a full body tomorrow. And then Wednesday's a way lighter day. It's a lot of single leg mobility stuff, but it's not necessarily like traditional, like we're not going to line up and deadlift or anything like that. Yeah, I, I know um, from when I was in college, I always look forward to those Sunday lifts, you know, after a game, kind of getting the blood flowing. Um, even if you're sore, you know, it was always good to get moving. Um, yeah. But kind of transition, you know, for an older guy, I mean, that off-season lifts is a time to regain some of that strength, you know, um, kind of better yourself. Um, so kind of talk about what your off-season program looks like. And what's really the attitude, too, around the team? Because I know it's usually a good time to rejuvenate as a team. You know, regardless of what the season was, it's like, all right, we got to get better. This is the time. So kind of discuss a little bit about that. Um, yeah, I think the offseason is, especially the first couple weeks of that winter, is some of the best times. I'm sorry, did I lose you guys there? You soon? Still um, there. <laughs> I think uh, the first, like, six, seven weeks is the best because all you usually have is just lifts. They're usually early in the morning, and that's your whole day. So, But that offseason, I want to say we go about five days a week. We'll go Monday through Friday. You'll start off Monday was always our hardest day. So Monday's our heavy squat day. We come in there. They're going to kill you on squat. You know, I mean, they're going to make sure you're feeling it. And then you're going to do all your accessory lifts and different stuff. Like, I wish I had a sheet right here because I'm blank and thinking of other lifts. <laughs> but Monday's usually your heavy squat day. Tuesday will come in and do some sort of upper body, chest, shoulders kind of thing. And um, and then Wednesday, a lot of times we did yoga, just as kind of a break in the middle. We would do some yoga, stretch, make sure everybody's healthy and stuff. Right back at it Thursday with some sort of front squat, mobility stuff. And then Friday was full body. And there was usually some sort of challenge at the end, you know, a team building kind of thing. So, But that's how most of the weeks go until – Probably, like I said, six weeks into it, you'll start doing a little bit of conditioning stuff, and then you start getting ready for mat drills before spring ball. You know, and what this really shows is that, you know, the FCS to FBS, there's not a lot of difference. You know, you guys are practicing just as hard, just as rigorous as those SEC schools. You know, and I want to talk about, because you alluded to academics and late classes, and you took your academics very seriously, and you still do. All academic conference member Talk about what that's like, you know, balancing the classroom and being at that level while still being a key contributor to a successful football team. Um, I think, honestly, because I was not even – I was really not a great uh, student in high school and stuff, but I was so scared of, like, not getting my degree or doing this and the other. It's really – I don't even think it's necessarily how smart you are, how good of a student you are. It's just about staying on top of it. And uh, I mean, like right here, I'm, I'm at my desk right now. I've just got, I put sticky notes around my room and stuff of like, hey, you got to do this. You got to meet with this person. You got to finish this project. So really trying to keep up with your academics while you're an athlete and stuff. I mean, it's, it's really for me about staying on top of it. Alarms, I set alarms for everything, reminders for everything. Like I said, I got sticky notes everywhere. Um, and they give you resources that we've got people that help and, you know, can, you can get a tutor, you can get this or that. And I think it's incredibly important for young athletes, especially if you're going to, if you're worried about a class or something, get with a tutor, get on top of it before it gets you, you know what I mean? So I think it's just it, taking advantage of your resources and just getting on it before it gets on you, get in front of it. 
you know, we talked about, you know, you guys maybe not having the season you wanted, but you alluded to playing spoiler. You guys got Western Carolina coming in mm-hmm. this coming weekend, and that's your guys' senior night. Western is a team who's doing so-so, trying to maybe finish with a winning record this year, and you guys can kind of help ruin that for them. So w- talk about what the preparation's been like playing a team like Western who's not having a great year, but also is doing some really good things on the football field. Yeah, offensively, I, I don't quote me on this. I want to say they've got one of the best offenses in the SoCon. They've always had a high-powered offense. Um, but, you know, anymore, especially in the situation we're in, it's not like it's a, oh, it's Western League, guys. Are we, you know, this is a very game where it can go either way for us. This is a big game for us. You know, it's not just a little – we can't take any games lightly anymore, obviously, with the situation we're in. So, I mean, this is – every week is going to be our Super Bowl from these next two weeks. we got to try to do our best. we got to try to win out. If we can go out there and play good defense and play good offense and hopefully shut them down, we're going we're gonna to love it. We're going to live it up because it's – and I'm sure you guys know as well as I do, it's hard to win. It's hard to win in college, man. And the teams that do, they're doing something right. So you got to celebrate every win. You got to enjoy every win. So, like, we're just going to go out there, try to get the win, and hold on to it, you know. And, you know, Logan earlier this year told me not to sleep on Mississippi State when they played Texas A&M because yeah. they run that air raid offense. I didn't listen to them. And Mike Leach really ticked me off. So yeah. you have a chance to avenge that for me, and you have a chance to shut that air raid up in two weeks. And yeah. You know, I know you guys obviously, like you alluded to, you don't look ahead. Western is who you got this week, and then we move on to Mississippi State. But talk about what it's like when you're an FCS school and you know these big, you know, SEC schools are saying, we'll pay you half a mil to drive down and let us beat you. And last year, you know, Vanderbilt had that thought. And yeah. guys, I believe what you only allowed three point was it 23 to three? No touchdowns allowed? No touchdowns. So talk about what that's like when you're like, you know what, go ahead and pay us. We're going to take your money and we're going to whoop your rear. How, what's that feel like? Um, Man, especially uh, especially the money games, you know, because they're money games is what they are. A lot of SES schools do them. Being in the Southern Conference, we always get the SEC one. So it's hard to be, you know, a lot of it, there's some doubt in this, this and that. But if you look at it, you go out there and you're like, hey, these are just guys just like us. These are just ball players. Yeah, they might be an inch or two taller. They might be. 30 to 40 pounds heavier, but these guys are ball players just like we are. There's no reason why you can't upset somebody, you know, and I think that's true. That rings true for every team, but really I think it's everybody's dream one day to get on that SEC field or to play that big team in a big game and have a big win. And me growing up, I always wanted, wanted to play in the big 10 or something, but I mean, just, I always wanted to be on a big stage. And so for me to be able to step out there, look up and be in an sec stadium it's it's a feeling like no other and that's part of my childhood dream coming true so it's easy to it's easy to look past it and be like you know what i'm just gonna go out here and ball and whatever happens happens it's it's easy to get defeated if you wanted to mentally there but for a lot of guys in the fcs i know that it's such a cool feeling just to be out there that a lot of times that will to win is just bigger you know and you talked about money games you guys also play them at the fcs level you guys go against some D2 schools last year. I think you guys played UVA wise. And yeah. This year you played Mars Hill. You know, mm-hmm. what's that preparation like? Obviously that's, you know, kind of flipping the script to the opposite degree of this is a small school. We're paying kind of, you know, what some might call a tune-up game. So how do you mentally prepare for that again, to not overlook an opponent and understand these guys are coming here. They got nothing to lose. They're just coming to play ball. Yeah. Uh, so that's actually funny that you bring that up. Last year, we played Vanderbilt week one, 
We go out there, upset an SEC team, and we're going crazy. Well, the next week we had um, UVA Wise, and our coaches all year, all week are kind of, if you guys are the team that go out there and upset the SEC school and then get beat by a D2 school, no one will ever let you forget it. So it just goes back to the, you know, something I said earlier, and it's you got to take everybody the same way. Don't look past them. It's easy to. It's easy to get. It's easy to get in your own head about stuff like that, especially after you have an SEC win or something. But I think it's just treating everybody the same, and I think it's just realizing that there are such good and such high caliber ball players at every single level from NAIA D three on up that it's you can't take anybody lightly because there's a guy out there that can do it, you know, at every level. You know, I want to switch gears a little bit. I want to ask you to kind of, you know, evaluate yourself a little bit. You're, you yourself as an athlete, and as a player, obviously you've had success. Last year you had over 30 tackles, which for folks who don't understand from a D-line position, that's pretty darn impressive because a lot of times as D-linemen, you're asked to clog gaps. You're asked to kind of take on blockers to free up the linebacker to make the play. You know, you've got 28 tackles this year playing good football. And I want to ask you, when you're, you know, preparing to be able to make those plays and be a contributor on Saturday, obviously you got the weight room we alluded to. You've got the practice field, but you also have the film room. Yeah. You rank those, you know, one through three. Which ones do you feel are most important to your success on Saturdays? Huh. That's, see, that's a good one. I've never even thought of it like that. Personally, and I think every guy, I think every player is different. I think every coach would agree differently, disagree. I think the basis for everything that you do starts in the weight room because that's where your discipline comes from. That's where your work effort, your motor, everything comes from. I think the basis for everything starts in the weight room. That's where things are challenging, this and that. That then sets up your practice field because, you know, you're going to work hard. You're going to work hard on the practice field. You learn how to practice, become a good practice player, and that's coming 10 minutes early to practice, staying for 10 minutes late. You know, it's just doing little things like that. And then I want to say film room because a lot of times the coaches already have stuff broken down for you. You get a sheet at the beginning of every week with all the numbers, this, that, and the other. You watch film as a group. I think it's crucial to be on the film study, but I, I, I know guys that, you know, they'll watch a minimal amount of film, but they, they kind of gather what they need to get from coaches and stuff, and that's how they play. So that's how I would rank it personally. I still watch a lot of film. I try to be in the film room as much as I can, but I think you got to start in the weight room personally. So coming from, you know, Ohio, coming from Southern Ohio, were you a Bengals fan growing up? Are you still a Bengals fan or who do you pull for in the NFL? Uh, definitely the Bengals. I went, uh, especially, you know, growing up in Southern Ohio, the Bengals were horrible from every time I was little till about two years ago. But uh, I was always pulling for the Bengals. I uh, would go to Bengals games every now and then with my dad and stuff and uh, had a lot of fun doing it. So it's been a lot of fun here as of late to be able to watch them have some success. So it's pretty cool. Logan, what do you say? Do you think we get some NFL takes out of Max? Um, why not, dude? I mean, I feel like that's just a regular thing we should get. I mean, Max, you, you, you opened the door for it being a Bengals fan. So I got to start with uh, you guys had a nice win today, you know. Yeah. You know, nice win. You made me look like an idiot because I said on this show that, you know, the Panthers were going to cover and P.J. Walker was going to look great. And yeah, looks so good. We saw Baker Mayfield play today. So, uh, well, Baker I, Mayfield looked real great, you know, not P.J. Walker. He's got the quarterback wrong. Exactly. I mean, they, they're pretty similar. It's easy for me to mix them up. But I got to ask you, man, you know, 
the Bengals got some good things going for them on the D-line. Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard. And you as a college D-lineman, you alluded to watching film. Is there any NFL guys that you try to, like, watch their game and, like, pick pieces of their game and add it to yours? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And it's hard to do because those guys are so elite. You watch some of the moves and you're just like, I'll never be able to do that. You know, you you can't go watch Aaron Donald's film and be like, well, let me go try that out because he's just – he's one of one. You know what I mean? Um, but it's funny you said that about Trey Hendrickson. I watched him when he was on the Saints for a long time. I loved the way he played. I mean, he freaked me out because he plays with no gloves. And I've always been scared of a football player without gloves because you're, you're not scared of anything. Um, I know my hands get beat up and stuff. I could never do it. But Trey Hendrickson, I mean, he's just – his motor, the way he plays is just awesome. Um, there's a dude for the uh, Chiefs, and I'm blanking on his name right now, but he was an FCS guy, played for Western – Illinois, I believe, Colin Saunders or Kalen Sanders. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. I like watching his stuff, Chris Jones. Uh, I mean, some of those guys, they make it look like art. You know, it's beautiful. It looks like poetry in motion and stuff, you know, and it's hard to duplicate. But as long as I can chip away and take bits and pieces from these types of guys, you know, the J.J. Watts of the world, the Aaron Donalds of the world, I, you know, it, it, it helps a little bit. I will tell you, offensive linemen or defensive linemen who play the game and don't wear gloves i kind of lumped them in the same category as people who put milk before cereal when making a bowl of cereal they're just psychopaths you cannot trust them i mean those those are the people that we just need to lock up and throw away the key because those are some scary people but i agree you got to be a different beast to be doing that hey you're not wrong i want to ask you though being a d1 athlete do you get to watch a lot of the nfl games on sundays are you able to tune in um, no, that's why I was nervous when you said that, because I was like, I, I try to keep up as much as I can. Uh, I can't I used to have fantasy. I just can't keep up with it because Sundays is my big homework day a lot of times, you know, because I'll put stuff off throughout the week and I got to finish it all up on Sundays. So, no, I I try to keep up on the scores and some guys are better at it than me. I think I just I like I like the Bengals. I could really care less about some of the teams. I just like watching good football. But, yeah, no, I can't keep up sometimes. I, I just check the scores. So, with that being said, too, you know, obviously Saturdays you guys play. Are you seeing some of these, like, you know, Alabama losing and Tennessee getting handled? Are you able to see any of that? Or is it just like, oh, hey, that happened? Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, hey, that happened. Or you're in the you're in the locker room before the game or at halftime and somebody's, somebody will whisper to you, oh, my God, did you, see, did you see what Tennessee did? Did you see what Ohio State's doing? And so that's about the extent of it. You get on the bus and – or get back home or whatever, you watch the highlights of it. But, yeah, it's kind of – you don't get to enjoy it. And that's why uh, this past weekend was so nice. We had our bye week. I got to watch some good football for once and actually enjoy some stuff. So, yeah, it's hard It's hard when you're playing. You don't get to see it all. Yeah, no, I always had my special spot because, uh, you know, a little kicker, I had this corner and I had a TV in front of me, dude. And ha- every halftime, I would just watch college football. It was great. No one ever yelled at me. Um <laughs> But kind of get back to the NFL, you know, and you talk about picking different parts of everyone's game. But if you had to really pick one player who you think you resemble the most in the NFL, is there a guy you could name or maybe a couple guys like your game mimics them a little bit more than some others? Um, Shoot. Uh, Maybe not a guy that plays currently, but a guy that I tried to base my game off of. I think I'm trying to think of his name. He played for the Buffalo Bills. He was number 95. Kyle. Uh, Kyle Williams. 
Kyle Williams. I, you know, he was kind of the short white guy in the middle. I always was like, I like how he plays and stuff. He played with a motor. He played with such grit that, I mean, I, I tried to model myself around him and he was a hell of a leader and stuff like that. And so I always tried to duplicate him. So I would say him, he, I think he's been retired for a couple of years now, but I always enjoyed watching him play, watching him do things. Um, <clears throat> sitting here trying to think of anybody else. And it's, it's hard. Cause I, uh, not a hundred percent sure. Uh, I like uh, I like Colin Sanders, like I said, and then Sam Hubbard's fun to watch. I don't really see myself in him. DJ Reader is fantastic too. Speaking of the Bengals and stuff like that, but if I had to pick one guy, it'd be Kyle Williams. I'll tell you when I was breaking down a little bit of your film and watching you, you reminded me of just a high motor D lineman and some guys that came to mind a little bit smaller, undersized D lineman. Edge rushers that can still clog a gap, guys like Adrian Claiborne, who, yeah, I mean, would not be a bad guy to be compared to. He had six no, sacks just, in a game. That's a compliment, man. I mean, it, it, it it's true. You know, folks think as a D lineman, it's all about getting in the backfield, tackles for loss and sacks. But what people don't understand is your first job is to eat up a blocker and make sure the guys at the second level can make a play. And talk, I want you to kind of talk on that a little bit because guys don't understand that. You know, we, we hear about the O-line being unsung heroes, but interior D-linemen, <laughs> they, don't, they don't get any love until a big run's broken. So talk a little bit about what that's like knowing I'm lined up against, you know, you guys play in the SoCon, and last year Mercer put an O-lineman in the NFL, Justin Poe. The dude yeah. was just an absolute freak of a wrecking ball. So what's yeah. it like lining up against guys like that? Poe and uh, Cole Strange. Cole Strange was a first-round draft pick to the Patriots. Yes, uh, thank you for uh, giving him to my Patriots because uh, uh -huh. you tell the SoCon thank you because uh, we like him. Listen, listen. I saw when they when they drafted him, they played like a little bit of his highlight tape, and I saw me on his highlight tape, and I was like, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it is crazy, you know, because oftentimes you're going to be smaller than these guys. They've got you by 30 to 50 pounds. Um. But it's just one of those things where it's, it's a lot of grit and you have to realize your strengths versus theirs. I'm never going to square a guy up in the middle of the gap and just hold it. I'm not that d -lineman. I have to take half of the man, play his half, be quick on my feet, and try to use kind of some torque and some leverage. I'm shorter a lot of times, so guys are here. I can use a little leverage and stuff. So it's uh, it's intimidating at first, but once you once you kind of square up with the big guy and you're able to hold your own and then make a couple plays and you're like, Oh, this is still football. So it's just, it's really about remembering, Hey, I'm still a football player. I'm recruited to this level for a reason. I got this, you know? So when Cole strange got drafted, you knew right away that we made the right pick, right? You were not one of the ones dogging bill Belichick, right? Absolutely not, man. Because we coming into that week every year when you play different teams, especially if there's a guy, you know, of everybody's gone, coaches are going, Hey, this is going to be a third round draft pick probably, or this is a fifth round. This is an undrafted uh, free agent type of guy. You're like, okay, okay, okay. All year long, we're kind of like, this guy's, this guy's pretty good. This guy's pretty good. We played him. And that week, I think our coach, one of our coaches, it wasn't our head coach, one of our coaches going, it's probably like a third round guy. I mean, he's a really good ball player. We're like, okay. We played him and I'm like, that is a really good ball player. And they're like, yeah, yeah, he's probably third round. And I'm thinking, okay. And stuff, and then we, he keeps going. And a couple games before that, he balled out against Kentucky and stuff. So when he went first round, I think he was probably shocked if I had to guess. But 
I, I was a little bit shocked, but I'm like, I know why. I see why. So I got to ask you, because, you know, playing at the FCF, FCS level, we've alluded to, you guys play a grueling schedule in the SOCON, Mercer, Furman, you know, Chattanooga. You guys got a tough, you know, tough schedule, and you play in SEC school a lot of times. I want to ask you, though, since you've been at East Tennessee State, can you talk about maybe the best athlete you've either played with or against? Shoot. Probably the best athlete I've ever played against. I want to say his name was Montrell Washington from Samford last year. He's a punt returner for the Broncos. He's playing receiver. That guy was crazy. All week we were having to prepare for him. Um, Cole Strange, of course. Um, this is not a SoCon guy, but Cordell Valson, I think his name. He's from North Dakota State. He plays at the Bengals. He was great. But if you want to talk pure athlete, playing with uh, Quay Holmes was a great athlete. Tyree Robinson, he was a safety for us, was an unreal athlete. And um, Jacob Sailors, who I play with now, has got to be the best athlete I've probably ever played with. He's fantastic. And also, sorry, I almost forgot about him. Uh, one of my good friends, Nate Atkins, he plays tight end for uh, South Carolina. He's He was one of the freakiest athletes I've ever met, too. Yeah, and you kind of alluded to these, some, some of these guys as just freak athletes. But if you had to kind of just analyze their game, what would you put as just natural talent compared to, like, stuff that they probably built as skill sets as their time in college and high school, you know, just getting better? Um, if you had to kind of analyze a couple of those guys. Yeah, um, so Nate was always – his dad is an O-line coach growing up. I think he was an O-line coach for the Bills and stuff. Nate played O-line his whole, his whole life, and then he came to college and became an All-American tight end. Um, so I want to say blocking was definitely built into him. He, he was taught how to block and become a great blocker. But then he gets to this level, and he's asked to block, but then he's got to go out there and catch passes, this, that, and the other. Nate – was definitely just a ball player. And sometimes there's no other way to say it. Than, and my dad always used to call it just having football savvy. And he was just football savvy with everything he did. So I'd say the blocking from him was definitely built by his dad's stuff. But the rest of it, it's just he was an athlete. And then a lot of those guys like Tyree Robinson, he – I don't even know. I know he built up a lot of his strength and stuff because he came in really small and this and that. But, I mean, the way he flowed to the ball and the way he had a, a feel for where the ball was going to be, it's stuff you just don't – you can't really train for. Those guys are different. Same with Jacob because Jacob just finds holes where nobody else would ever find a hole. You know, I want to transition a little bit because on this show, we're big on giving advice to high school athletes because, you know, let's be honest, we were all at one point, you know, youth football players just wishing we would have – been able to pick someone's brain and you know learn this stuff so I want to ask you to give some advice to a high school D lineman to start you know if you could sit down with maybe a group of ninth grade linemen or young guys who are like hey I want to play on the D line I want to play on the D line in college what would be the first things you would tell them to you know focus on and address not only on the field but also off the field okay so focusing on the field I would tell them immediately to become as explosive, try to get as explosive as you can coming out of your hips, um, playing with your hands. Cause I think a lot of times you see young D linemen come off the line and they're, they're all with shoulder stuff. Use your hands, you know, throw guys around. You have the privilege as a defensive lineman to use your hands and to hold and to grab. Use your hands. I would say, so use your hands, come out of your hips, stuff like that. Work on your get off, off the ball. Just crucial, timing that get up off the ball. And then off the field, I mean, it's so important, especially if you're 
you're kind of like one of those edge guys. And I don't mean edge like as in on the field, but like, you know, between D2 and D3, D3 and NAIA, D1 and this and that, to focus on your grades outside. Because a lot of times it's easy. They're going to take the kid with the better grades. You know, if you're kind of the, one of those fringe guys, they're going to take, and you know, you're just as good as this guy and he's got two point higher ACT than you, they're going to take him. So focus on your grades. Don't be afraid to get an ACT tutor. Uh, there's no shame in any of that because it's going to pay off. And I want to ask you too, because you alluded to it, your goal was always to play in the big 10. Um, I'm hoping for Ohio state. If you tell me it was for the team up North, we'll have to cut this interview short. Um, so first and foremost, Ohio state, right? Ohio state. Yeah. Okay. We can keep it going then. So I got to ask you though, you know, obviously if you had the goal to play in the big 10, you end up in the SoCon still a very respectable level, but it wasn't what you initially thought. If you could talk to a high school kid, who's getting offers, but maybe they're not the offers he dreamed of. What would you tell that kid, you know, about the opportunity ahead of him and just about the emotions that maybe that kid's going through? Um, If I could go back and tell myself or tell a kid like this, I think too many of these kids and these trainers and these even these pages on Instagram and Twitter, they become really toxic with this D1 or bust mentality. Guys think they have to go D1 or this and that, and – I'm sure, you know, you guys know as well as I do. We talked about it. There's such good and such elite football players at every single level. You, you mean, it's, it's incredible. So I would say to stay out of that D1 or bus mentality or stay out of that, you know, if he does have D1 offers, stay out of that SEC or bus, stay out of that Big Ten or bus. Stay on the track that's, you know, right for you. Follow that. And don't be afraid because there's good football everywhere. And, like we said, I wanted to go play for Ohio State. I turned 16 and was like, well, I'm not 6'6". Six, six, I'm not 300 pounds. There's no way I'd do it. So I was really, I was more okay with my decision and with my choices because I was like, I'm just not – I don't fit the frame requirements. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. I've met the best people I've ever met in my life, and I've played some great games, played great football. Um, so there's good football everywhere is what I would tell them. There's great football everywhere. Don't discount anything. You know, and Max, I'm going to end the interview by letting you kind of, you know, tell us what we can expect this upcoming weekend. Western, obviously, you talked about it. It's a big game for you guys. Tell us what we can expect from you guys this upcoming weekend. You know, obviously, you alluded to it. Western's got a great offense, but you guys got a solid defense. You guys have been within one score of a lot of really good teams this year. So how can we watch this game this weekend, and what can we expect from you guys? Um. First of all, how to watch it, I want to say ESPN Plus or something like that. But um, I think what you can expect from us is we're a defense that kind of these past two weeks has not been our true potential. Um, we've never really let up this amount of points. This and that. We're still a great defense, and we've never never been a defense that's given up like many points. So I think you're seeing a defense this week that's coming off a bye week, that's well-rested, and that's pretty upset about our past performances these past two games. So I think you're just going to see a high – high motor defense it's ready to come in and hit it's excited to finish off this season on a positive note and i think our offense is going to keep doing exactly what they're doing scoring and getting the ball in the end zone max it's been a blast having you on man uh i need you to avenge me don't let mike leach make me look stupid two times in one year but it's I'll been see a... <laughs> i'll see hey man it's been an absolute blast we've loved having you on folks that's all we got for you guys this time like we always tell you guys rate subscribe and review to the podcast until next time, we'll see you guys later. Have a good one.